Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today my conversation partner is Jana Harmon, who is a teaching fellow for us with the C.S. Lewis Institute in Atlanta. Jana also is an adjunct professor of cultural apologetics at Biola University. She holds an MA in Christian apologetics from Biola and a PhD in religion and theology from the University of Birmingham in England. Her area of research was about how atheists become Christians. Jana, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thanks for having me, Randy. It's great to be here. Well, um, I'm so intrigued with the fact that you interviewed um, uh, converts to Christianity. I did a research project like that, but you chose to uh, uh, kind of ramp up the degree of difficulty by only interviewing people who were atheists who became Christians. Tell me, tell us, tell our listeners, how, how did you decide that that was the area that you wanted to research? That's a good question. I think after having graduated from Biola and Christian apologetics and living in that world, that apologetics world for a number of years, and being convinced that the Christian worldview really was quite substantive and had, I thought, the best answers, the best explanation for reality. But yet I would still see all of these conversations and debates and writings, typically be- between the naturalistic worldview, the atheist, and the Christian. And it seemed like two ships passing in the night. That, that the intellectual arguments did not seem convincing to the atheist. And I thought to myself, well, what would be convincing to the atheist? There has to be something more going on than just the rational. And at the same time, I was reading some of Francis Schaeffer and Blaise Pascal and, of course, C.S. Lewis, and really considering, of course, there are things that inform our rationality, like our passions, our desires. And even more than that, you know, we have experiences in life and people that are that surround us, and we usually like the the ideas of people that we that we like. So I knew that there was a lot more going on in terms of what shapes our beliefs and why we would change beliefs. And so I wanted to take a closer look at that from really a more holistic understanding of apologetics, looking at the person what informed their beliefs, what made them open, and what brought them on to Jesus Christ, particularly the atheist. Um, it was really quite fascinating. Mm. Oh, I bet it was. You know, there, I, I'm sure you found that there's something that we learn by listening to people's stories that we don't get if we're only looking at it just from our side of the story. Um, there's there are a whole lot of things written about how to do evangelism, and it's almost always written by from the evangelist's perspective. But but you chose to listen to the convert's story. Um, how how many how many atheists who had become Christians did you interview? I interviewed fifty two. Hmm. And um and and these were I'm I'm guessing fairly lengthy interview. I mean, were they face to face or over the phone? Primarily, well, if if they were close enough to me, we met in person. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and this was a a study that actually captured all of what was considered Western culture. So I had 
um, atheist or former atheist interviews from folks all over the U.S., um, from Canada, from the U.K., from France, uh, actually South Africa, although that that one was excluded because they weren't Western enough, but also spoke with uh, folks from Australia and New Zealand. So primarily we spoke, I guess, virtually in person via Skype. Mm -hmm. So we were able to sit down at the computer together. Everybody's very familiar with FaceTime Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Skype and those kinds of things now. And it seemed very comfortable, almost as if we were sitting across the table from each other with over a cup of coffee. And we did spend a good amount of time together. Uh, you know, it, that depended on the person, how verbal they are, how willing they were to open up and talk. But generally speaking, we spent about one to two hours together just listening. I was listening to their story. Mm, one to two hours. That's really, that's really extensive. Um, I, um, so what were so what were some of the general findings or trends or similarities that you started seeing? Well, you're right that there are general t- trends that seem to pop up. Every story is I'm so glad you brought up the idea of, of listening to someone's story because every story is so unique and everyone has a very different experience and understanding of who they are and their beliefs and how they perceive God and Christians and Christianity. But generally speaking, as atheists, I will say those that I, whom I interviewed, more than half had had very little to no exposure to Christian Christians or Christianity apart from what they were perceiving in culture. And that sometimes isn't a good look you know, for the Christian uh, we know in today's culture, it's it's terribly divided, just in values. And then you you take that. Um, I, I I was just reminded, in, in actually looking back at my my uh, dissertation before we spoke, there there's a study that was done in terms of how atheists socially distance, in a sense, from and not in a, a COVID way or a physical way, but actually in a social way from those who are Christians. And it, they they found that a- atheists actually socially distance more, most from evangelical Christians. So there's a great divide. And you can imagine what can happen in, in an us-them kind of mentality where there's no interaction, no direct interaction at all. So one person, for example, said he had no religion in his world. He he was from Australia. It just wasn't in his world. So he thought, when he thought of a Christian, he thought of Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Mm-hmm, you know, right. just a very unlikable uh, character that that uh, you know everyone has contempt for, and that that fit his narrative, or it formed a picture of who he thought Christians are. There was a very strong sensibility t- that Christians were in in tolerable, that um, that they were uneducated. In fact, one of the most um, f- uh, one of the most interesting findings, I think, was that not one person thought that Christians were educated people. Not only did I interview them, but th- but they also had to fill out a survey before we interviewed. So I had all of these similar questions and 
that was that kind of struck to the heart if you're a Christian to be perceived as just stupid and delusional. 72% of, of atheists thought that Christians were delusional people. You know, they see Christians as weak minded, um, that they need this sky daddy, that they only run to religion for a place to belong, kind of like a bowling club. Um, they didn't see that religion or faith was anything more than serving a function of some sort, that, that it did something beneficial in the eyes of, of the religious person. They thought that there was really nothing to God, to, to faith, to any of that in terms of a reality, um, that it was just some kind of a social or psychological construct um, really. So there was a, a str- what I want to say here is that there was for a general trend, a very strongly negative understanding of who Christians are. And I think that's um, that in terms of how we can even think about engaging with non-believers, particularly in this divisive day is one way to, to do that is to break down those negative stereotypes and the only way you do that is not from a distance, mm. but actually in person through relationships, breaking down the the negative stereotypes that have been built, um, because that is our 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 most major problem. I guess it's a it's a big PR problem, um, and it's comfortable not to engage. You know, it's a little bit. Uh, a little bit scary to engage those who who really don't think the way that we do, who actually perceive us with some degree of contempt. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's it's one thing I think that we can do is just start befriending uh, people who don't who aren't like us, mm. you know, and then then they can't dehumanize or are built contempt because you're kind and you're gracious and you're, you're intelligent, you know, and those kinds of things that start um, dissolving some of the barriers. And, you know, um, I, I can't resist uh, uh, throwing in a theological perspective here. Uh, we as Christians have the absolute greatest display of that, of um, what is recounted in Philippians 2 of Jesus leaving heaven to come and be with people who are so much unlike him uh, because we're sinful and he's sinless. And so that display of leaving the, the, the familiar uh, or, or the comfortable or, or the similar, you know, there he is in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and then he comes to earth. Uh, just that display should be the greatest motivation for us to you know, I, I I can get to get to know atheists and know um, I'm, I might be surprised about how much I have in common with them. Certainly not about my religious beliefs, but about other things. Um, now, I think our, I think some of our listeners may be saying, um, gee, I really hope Jen has written a book. So ha- have you written a book on this about your findings? Are you in the process of writing a book? Well, actually, my 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 uh, academic work is in in process of being published at the moment. Um, I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure when it will be uh, released to the public. I, as it were, it's it's now in in uh, the publication kind of stages, and I understand that takes quite a while. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, that will be there, uh, and that definitely has it's a very weighty kind of academic book. But it's it's also very accessible. 
Then and then um, I'm actually in process with Paul Copan co-writing a book, including a lot of the stories from these uh, from these interviews mm, to show and in a more practical kind of accessible way how we can look and see how li- these lives what what it does take for lives to change. Um, I guess the most accessible thing, and it, and it's it's right now, is a, a new podcast that's beginning this week, actually called the Side B Podcast. Yes, um, that that where actually former atheists themselves come on and tell their stories of why they disbelieved in God, what they thought of Christians and God, and all of that. What was the catalyst? that turned them towards openness, and then what brought them on into faith, how their faith has been since, and their lives. And they also give advice to the curious skeptic who might be listening, and also to us as Christians, how best to engage. So it's it's a very accessible, very practical, and truly compelling stories that are coming through this podcast. I so. love it. I love it. I'm so glad to hear that. So it's called Side B. Is that right? That's the name of the podcast? Yes. The Side B Podcast. We named it that because, well, I guess if you're my age and even my daughter's age there in college, you understand what a vinyl record is, of course. There's a side A, which is the popular side, the popular song. It's the one that the, if I can make an analogy here, it's the one the culture is singing or playing. You know, it's it's the very prominent voice oftentimes we hear in culture and it's usually not kind towards Christianity. But side B is that often unlistened to side. It's a side on the on the other side that you, after you've listened to the popular tune for a while, you'll turn it over and, and take a listen and you might be surprised by what's there. Mm. So so the the goal of the side B podcast is actually it goes both ways. I is for the curious skeptic to listen and learn from someone who actually used to be an atheist and learn why a thoughtful, intelligent person might become a Christian. But it's also for the Christian to really understand why someone might reject God or Christianity when it seems so plain to us. Mm. And and, um, you had asked me also about patterns that I saw. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, and I think this is really critically important as it's just a huge pattern, and especially for Christians in terms of engaging with, with those who don't believe. Oftentimes, atheists will give very intellectual reasons for disbelief. But, it, that, but giving someone an intellectual response, it may or may not, it may just bounce off of them. For the most part, they these atheists that I spoke with were very resolute. They two-thirds of them said there was no amount of evidence that would change their mind, that would convince them. They just never thought that they would change from atheism. But when I looked at the patterns of their lives and what caused them to soften towards the possibility of God, usually it was really engaging with the goodness of God. That is, you know, we can reject big God because God's not true, or God's not relevant, you know, or um, that you don't want him, or God is not good. And somehow Christianity has seemed not only implausible, but not attractive. What 
what seemed to happen is there was something about Christians or Christianity that became attractive, Mm. that became good, whether it was meeting someone. And again, that I want just one person breaking down those negative stereotypes by being again, kind and intelligent and thoughtful and available and loving and generous. And all of those things were called to be living a life of integrity not hypocrisy, taking our own faith seriously, but also being informed intellectually. So when they began to see that there was something about Christians that was good, and perhaps something about Christianity, that is, you know, Christianity had answers to that they could say that there was a real right and a real wrong, that they they seemed that within Christianity you can have grounding for human dignity and value, that you can have true purpose and meaning in your life. And those kinds of things that are are lost to the atheist if they're really honest Mm. with their own worldview. Yeah. So it was the goodness that actually softened them to see, okay, there's something about this that I like, that is true, that I possibly want now. Let me see if it is true. And they were willing to go, on a more intellectual journeying after that. Mm. But, but, you know, there's a lot that we can offer. We don't all have to be, you know, brilliant apologists to, to engage with people, people, as you said, at the very beginning, we can talk with other people, no matter what their beliefs, because we all have such similarities. We're all human. Mm -hmm. We all desire love. We all desire meaning in our life. We all desire good relationships and things that are satisfying. So there are a lot of things that we can connect with on a very human, very personal level, and we can actually demonstrate that we have something to give, we have something to offer that they, in their own worldview, don't have. We'll return to my conversation in just a moment. Uh, I do want to invite you to take a look at our website, cslewisinstitute.org, and avail yourself to the many resources that we have there. Uh, we have f- over 40 years worth of articles and recordings and events that can be tremendously helpful. Uh, check out the uh, different ways that we can help you share your faith or grow deeply in your faith, and uh, consider also uh, supporting the Institute. If you click on the button that says Donate, uh, we would love to have you as a ministry partner. Now let's return to the conversation. Boy, this is, this is so important, Janet, because I, I, think, I, I think a whole lot of Christians feel like, ooh, atheists, they must be the most intellectually rigorous per, uh, opponents to the faith. And some of them are, but... Um, but not, but not necessarily, and um, w- we could feel intimidated, like, oh, I, I don't have all the intellectual answers. And what you're finding, or what you found, and what you're saying is, it's um, it's the goodness of God, the goodness of the gospel, the goodness that it makes a difference in the person's life, that is this uh, very, very powerful witness. Um, maybe I've quoted this on on this podcast in uh, other episodes, but I'm always drawn. There was a statement that C.S. Lewis made in his his story of coming to faith in his book, Surprised by Joy. He found this contradiction in his life because intellectually he thought that all of life was meaningless, and yet he was drawn 
to beauty and and art and beautiful stories and literature. And he wrote, nearly all that I loved, I believed to be imaginary. Nearly all that I believed to be real, I thought grim and meaningless. And it was that that contradiction of why am I drawn to beauty if I think that life is pointless and meaningless and there's and there is no God, and yet and yet there there is that draw. So, um, I, I do think this is so great for uh, us as Christians to try to get to know people of no faith or of anti-faith or atheists or anti-theists. That's the way Christopher Hitchens liked to refer to himself. And, and let the goodness of joy, of beauty, of appreciating God's creation uh, be, be evident. And, and, and let it bother people that they don't have a basis for why they appreciate those things. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm doing all the talking. So what? No, can, that's it, perfect. Um, can you think of a, a specific story of one of your interviewees that w- without robbing, uh, uh, let's say, stealing the thunder from your Side B podcast, uh, is there a particular story that that stands out that would be encouraging for our listeners? I'm trying to think because there's so many good ones, you know, and that, as you said um, just a moment ago, it's atheism. We often presume that that there are these strong intellectuals, but just as sometimes Christians, in a sense come to be Christians just because of the people around them or they haven't really thought about it much or it's maybe what they want to do. Atheists are the same. They come to their atheism just because it's the world they grew up in. They haven't really thought about it. They haven't thought about all the intellectual aspects of it. Maybe they had a bad experience in their life. Um, Maybe they had a bad experience in their own personal family or perhaps even with a religious person. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why people might embrace atheism. How so? I'm sorry if I may. Yes, how no, how, yeah. how common was that in the 52 people you interviewed? How many? I mean, you don't have to have an exact number, but how many of them had a tragic story, a tragic loss that was part of their uh, backstory of coming to no faith? It was less than one fifth. Okay. So. There, there was that sensibility. You know, sometimes there, there are books out there that have these um, theses about why people are atheists. You know, mm-hmm. one of one, one of them would be like, for example, Paul Vitt's right. theory is that because and and it's true for some, and his theory is that people be, become atheists because they have perhaps abusive or an emotional neglective. neglectful or absent father or some kind of negative experience with their father. And so they cannot believe in a heavenly father. Well, that was certainly true for a few in, in my study, I think around 24% said that, that they had a very negative view of God because of their own father. Hmm. But certainly that's three fourths who didn't, you know, some are, some are very, very happy atheists. They love their life. There, there's no familial issues. You know, they're going along just fine. Some just inherit it cultural inherit, inherit it culturally. Um, Some are very thoughtful about it intellectually. Uh, But, but generally speaking, the way I think about it in, in, in kind of more simple terms is, they either believe that God isn't true or real, um, that God isn't good or God isn't relevant. But I would say that probably one of the most fascinating 
findings is when I said, when I, I had all of these different reasons why they would reject a belief in God, the number one reason was not objective evidence against God. It was that I did not, there was no subjective evidence for God. And you think about, okay, what could that mean is that they didn't feel or see God in their world. Perhaps there was an unanswered prayer, perhaps, you know, um, and there were a few of those where they were praying at the bedside of a dying father, for example, and God didn't answer that prayer. And so where was God? Mm-hmm. You know, and again, that's the, that speaks to the goodness of God too. So, um, but there's all different reasons why someone might reject this God. Um, but, you, uh, well, the story that, without giving it away, the story that that starts off the podcast this week is a very fascinating story of a of a child. And when I received a survey, he said he had become an atheist at age seven. I thought, how in the world did that happen? Something bad must have happened. And when we sat down and had our tea, cup of tea, uh, that's exactly what happened. He he started off from the beginning talking about a very traumatic event that happened to him at seven years old. Hmm. And he and um, and he just rejected God for he you know he said I I I went used to go to Sunday school and they told me that Jesus loved me so how could this happen mm. and he rejected God and became very angry so angry at God he wouldn't even step foot in a in a church building for a wedding or a funeral he would have nothing to do with God and then he wrapped his emotional pain in all kinds of rational arguments so so by the t- time he was in his adulthood, he was a very angry, antagonistic person. Uh, he was he was um, kind of miserable, actually, personally, but would have nothing to do with anyone or anything that had to do with God or Christianity. And you look at that kind of heightened resistance, and you think, what in the world is the million dollar question with these with these people? And you hear their stories, and you think. After all those years, what would change them? What would break that ice, you know, break down that wall uh, of resistance? I guess you'll have to listen. Yeah, to yeah, see that, what- that's, that's a great place to stop telling that story so that people will run, yeah. run to download uh, Side B podcast. Well, well, you know, that certainly was true with C.S. Lewis, right? Didn't uh, his mother died when he was 10 years old? And, um, uh, later in life, he looked back at that and said that that was when he felt like, uh, you know, the the door was slammed in his face. You know, I'm um, uh, I'm I'm working on a writing project right now, and and uh, recently I've been immersing myself in the world of Christopher Hitchens, the notorious anti-theist, um, who wrote uh, the best-selling book "God Is Not Great," uh, subtitle being uh, "How Religion Poisons Everything." And my goodness, he was he was zealous. He was on a crusade um, to talk people out of uh, what he thought was a silly faith. But in his memoir, a book called Hitch 22, he starts the book by telling of his mother's death uh, by suicide uh, when he was a young man, 23, 24 years old. And it is just this horribly tragic, painful story. Um, mm-hmm. And he tells it because he's such a brilliant writer. I mean, he draws you in, and um, but it is so excruciatingly painful. And and I think he's even racked with guilt. I heard him in an interview where he talked about how 
she had tried to call him right before she took her life and he didn't get the phone call and he thought that he could talk her out of it if he could just could have you know gotten a hold of her and and he doesn't say this in his book but he said it in this NPR interview where he said you know I I I just missed the phone call by a little bit and then he said so I've been trying to write myself out of that ever since isn't that amazing i mean isn't that that that's just so excruciating the pain and um, I remember when I heard that, I thought I have a whole different perspective on Christopher Hitchens. So uh, you said, um, so was there any um, any other major findings in your interviews that, uh, you know, were like, like more than half of the people said X or something like well, that? Well, I, I will tell you something that was quite, quite surprising, totally unexpected. Mm. And that was the role of spiritual experiences mm-hmm. in, in their, these stories, whether it was encountering dark spirituality in their atheism and not really knowing what to do with that. Uh, you know, I would always ask the follow-up question, well, if you could see that some sense of dark spirituality existed, did, did it not make you question whether or not there was another kind of spirituality that might be available uh-huh. or present or real right. and they they wouldn't put two and two together so that was that was kind of interesting uh, but there were also spiritual experiences that happened that they as non-believers would encounter perhaps earlier in their childhood but they didn't have the framework upon which to put them i guess in a sense they were they were um, not as strong encounters as as what perhaps they had that were more convincing towards God and Jesus Christ. But there were, it seemed like God, you know, we worship a God. I just want to say this here is a very personal God Mm -hmm. who sees us, who knows us and who responds to us. Now, granted, sometimes we don't feel that. I get that. But sometimes he, he can show up in very unexpected and powerful ways uh, particularly in the form of dreams. Um, I had some report visions, um, very unusual providential circumstances that that were very, very convincing. Um, so, and some who like had be uh, on their journey in this conversion process, they might become intellectually convinced, but then they wanted to see, okay, there's, there's a person beyond the God of the philosopher, right? There's a a real person. He's not just the end of an argument or an end of a piece of evidence. Mm, mm. He's a real person. And so there was one particular young man who was incredibly, incredibly bright, had gone through an exhaustive process in moving from existentialism and nihilism to being convinced that God was true intellectually, that somehow all, all those arguments were won on the side of Christianity, but he wanted to know if God was actually real beyond that. And so he, he, and it usually comes as a response to a prayer and he prayed. Um, and then he goes on to describe this extraordinary experience of encountering the, the power of, and the beauty of God in a way he said, you know, talk about an existential crisis, this power, this loving being could uncreate me. And he felt just the, he felt this palpable reality of God. And, um, and so 
uh, he was convinced after that po- after that point that God indeed was not only true but real. Mm, I love and, it. and those are those are different. Um, but yeah, though those spiritual experiences and dreams, it's gotten me really much more interested in that kind of thing. Um, in terms of, we usually think that God shows up in third world countries or to the Muslim, you know, the unreached populations. But in a sense, you know, atheists are in many ways seemingly unreachable. Uh, but God reaches down and and changes changes uh, people in amazing ways. Mm. So. I love it. That's really great. And uh, so important for us to remember, we're not just trying, we're not even primarily trying to convince people of an argument, although we do use logic and reason for sure. Um, But we're trying to introduce uh, a person to a personal God. Have you ever wondered what heaven is going to be like? What will it look like? What will we do there? We all have questions about heaven. And uh, we, the C.S. Lewis Institute, are delighted to invite Dr. Randy Alcorn, who has spent decades, literally, uh, researching the topic. He's written uh, award-winning books on the topic, and he's going to be presenting a live stream event for us at uh, through the C.S. Lewis website on January 22nd at 8 p.m., Uh, Please check out the website, www.cslewisinstitute.org, and find out the details about the Randy Alcorn event. I think it'll be really great. Um, Well, let me ask one more question, and then we, we need to wrap up. But how did all of these interviews and this research affect you in your own faith? How did, how did this shape or deepen your faith? I can say that as uh, to the degree that there was a heightened resistance against God, these 52 people are the most compelling, on fire, enthusiastic, um, just trailblazing Christians that I know. Mm, mm. Um, I think when you move from true darkness to light and you know what it's like to feel like to live kind of in the in the darkness and then you find god and you find christ and you find the gospel there's something so incredibly life-changing about it that they actually really do want to live their life for god this this beautiful true and good god that they found and i can tell you that that their lives have been incredibly inspirational to me mm-hmm. Not only in the way that they live their life, but that um, there's such an intentionality. Many of them went on to get graduate degrees and work in ministries, and you know they're they're premier thinkers in the Christian worldview. As you and and I just sat back and I watched the way that God took these lives and used them for His glory, and I can say that I have been incredibly humbled um, and inspired by these people to want to walk in a way that they do. That's, you know, know, it's it's funny because someone, for someone I've been a Christian my entire life, and then you watch these lives being changed and used for the glory of God, and, and you just go, I want that. You know, I want to live like that for that 
for his glory in that way with that kind of enthusiasm and boldness and courage that they have. Mm. Oh, this is really great. Well, um, once again, I feel like we could continue the conversation for so much longer, but I'm going to let people tune into your Side B podcast for lots and lots and lots of these conversations. Um, I think that uh, we're living in a time when more and more people are identifying themselves as atheists. And I think it's also a time when more and more of them are going to find that that doesn't solve the problems for them. That doesn't uh, satisfy the longings and it doesn't answer the questions. So, um, I, you know, I remember years ago, uh, InterVarsity Press published a book, uh, Philosophers Who Believe, and then uh, Professors Who Believe, and then I think they even came out with Scientists Who Believe. And uh, so, so maybe someday there's a there's a collection of these stories of atheists who now believe or something because I, I just think that uh, the power of people telling their stories is is really uh, 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 dramatic. I think so. Any final thoughts uh, for our listeners about uh, this idea of what you've learned by listening to fifty two stories of atheists who have become believers in Jesus? I guess if I could add a last word, it would be, I think as Christians, it's easy to sit back and decide or to judge who who would or would not possibly become a Christian. You know, or they're, t- you know, we know people and you just think they're too far into their worldview. There's, there's no way that they, they would ever turn towards God. If I've learned anything through the power of prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of our very incredible God, that no one is too far from the Father's reach, and that God is right there and responsive to the smallest amount of openness to Him. If someone really seeks, um, He's there. And so we should always, always, you know, conversion is is not our role in someone's life you know we don't um it is is the work of of god and so we we can't give up and 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 especially for those whom we love and we know that they're distant from god but god sees and he knows and he hears our prayers so just persevere and be bold i guess i would say Mm, that's wonderful Jana Harmon. thank you so much for giving us a perspective on this that's so very important. Uh, This has been Questions That Matter, podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. And uh, we hope that this podcast and all of our resources that you can find at our website will help you as you seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind.